Hello, everyone. Welcome to Intrigue, the podcast, where we talk to people from different industries. Today, we're joined by Christy Taylor. Welcome, Christy. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you've done a lot in your career. Uh, I've done a gamut of things, but let's start at the very beginning with your childhood. So where did you grow up? How was your childhood? Oh, well, I grew up kind of all around the Midwest. So I was born Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma, and then we moved to New Mexico and Nebraska and Wyoming and then oh, wow. Oklahoma. So now I've been here ever since. So, Oh, why did he move? Was it your parents' job? Yeah. My dad actually was um, an electrical lineman. And so he would just go where the money was the best. Kind of simple. Uh, what did your mom do? Uh, my mom was, she was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And then she also worked as an administrative assistant. So, uh, I see. Did you have siblings? I do. I have um, I have an older brother and a younger brother, so I'm sandwiched. I'm the only girl in the middle. So. Well, like, what was that like being a middle <laughs> kid? <laughs> um, I would say I probably had a little more uh, physical contact. I think. I think I've got friends of mine that don't have brothers. Um, they're a little more reserved and polite, whereas I was usually the one that would you know tackle somebody or. I wasn't ever really afraid to get in and get my hands dirty or get a black eye or anything like that. So, Uh, Were you an outgoing kid or were you you more introverted or were you outgoing? I was outgoing for sure. I I played a lot of um, sports and really anything competitive. I would compete at anything, didn't matter what it was. I I just liked to play. Ah, were you naturally competitive or did your brothers instill that in you? Oh, I think it's natural. I think it's, I, I think it's natural. I have to catch myself even in, in um, meetings and things like that because I go in wanting to win, <laughs> which is terrible. Oh. It can be terrible. can be terrible. Um, but, yeah, I have to usually kind of check myself at the door before I go in. It's a team effort, not an individual effort. So it's usually kind of hardwired, so I have to do a little bit of work before I <laughs> get into some conversation. Interesting. You mentioned you did some sports. Were they mostly team sports or individual sports? Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I played, uh, gosh, I played soccer, softball, basketball, and uh, I was a swimmer. Um, but mostly basketball was my my first true love, I would say. Um, oh. Swimming, is, swimming is, a, is a team sport, but you also compete individually. So there was a kind of a combination, yeah. What did you enjoy more, like team or individual sport? Um, I think there's different aspects of it. I mean, I really do like that. I, I, I tend to more like team. Um, I, I just like it because you can bring a group of people together with different talents um, and create a bit, you know, a bigger, better um, machine or a thing than you can with just one individual. And so I've always... Um, really enjoyed the individuals. I like the individual. I like learning people's personalities and kind of seeing how they fit um, and things like that. So, uh, was that something you learned naturally? Like, did you have natural leadership skills, or how did that develop as you played sports? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I have to think of it now. I have to think through some of this stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think um, I always like to be the leader. Ah. I, I, I did. I, you know, I think maybe part of it is a little bit of the competition. You know, you want to try to master something faster than someone else so that you can kind of take the lead position. So I think um, I, I, I sought that out early on. Awesome. And then academically, what subjects did you like to learn? Math is my favorite subject, which is, I think some people um, question my sanity, but math and science were my two. Those are my favorite. Math was number one. Science was a very, very close second. Mm. Did you like math and science since childhood until high school? Or like, when did you start developing a passion for STEM? I did. Um, I think, honestly, it started off with times tables in elementary school. I like to be able to recite them faster than anybody else. Oh, competitive. The competition, the competition always comes in. Um, and so I would, I mean, I would probably work extra hard um, just to memorize all my times tables and to then start identifying patterns and things. like. I still enjoy that stuff now. I'm always looking for patterns to try to figure out um, maybe how to operationalize something or but yeah, I've always, I've always loved math. Mm, I see. And then um, did your parents influence like what you majored in, your career choice, or did your teachers mentor you? Actually, none of the above. Um, oh. Yeah, because if my parents told me anything, they obviously didn't know what they were talking about, so I wasn't going to do what they were going to tell me. Um, but uh, I would say, honestly, I got into technology kind of by accident. I was working... It was after high school. I was working as a, as a uh, receptionist for the. It was the Securities and Exchange Commission in the state of Oklahoma, but they had they had these little dummy terminals that everybody was working on. And we got a new administrator of the of the department, and they. This sounds God. This sounds so bad. Windows three point one, which you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was a long gone probably before you ever born, but Windows 3.1, they brought they brought this office I was working in, they decided to upgrade everybody to to PCs and they sent us through training. Um, so I learned how I learned all the very basic, basic stuff, even the basic Microsoft Office. Um, I have to think about what year this was. This is in the nineties. It was a long time ago. Um, wow. Before yeah. I was born. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just kind of luck of where I was working. And then when I was uh, pursuing my degree, it was just kind of the, kind of the hot thing at the time. Um, and that's how I got Wait. into it. So it really wasn't a, I had no mentoring. It was just, I just kind of got led there. Oh, wow. So did you know what you wanted to major in like coming into college? Like were you undeclared? I don't even remember what my major was when I first started. I think I changed my major I was a very indecisive person. I changed my major probably <laughs> four or five times um, oh. before I landed on anything. Yeah. Mm. And how did you determine where to go to college? Um, well, that was based on economics. I didn't have a lot of money. So we have a local college here uh, where I live. And I went to that. So that was literally maybe a mile from my parents' house. So I, I lived at home for quite some time while I went to school. You know, eventually moved out continue with my education. I went off and on for, it took me 10 years to get my undergraduate degree. Um, oh, and, and okay. I didn't really take it seriously at first. And, and I also, 
I still was so unsure about what I actually wanted to do when I grew up that I don't know. I had, I just had this, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into anything. Um, mm. So I, I just kind of took my time. <laughs> I would never oh, tell me. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that that approach, but um, that's what I did. Oh, tell me about those ten years. Like, what did you do? How did you discover yourself? Like, oh yeah, yeah, man, that was a long process. Um, so I actually moved out of my parents' house. Um, I bought a house. That was probably the one smart thing that my parents did guide me to do. Is I bought a house when I was like twenty four. Um, okay. So I had this house, and then I was working full time. I got a job on a help desk at a local hospital. And that was, I just remember, I remember it paid, I think it paid $12 an hour and that was a lot of money. So I remember at the time, all of my friends that were working were making, I think maybe, I think minimum wage at the time was like three eighty-five an hour or something. It was really Oh, low. wow. Yeah. So everybody else I knew was making that kind of money. I was making $12. So I was, you know, loaded. Um, but yeah, I worked on this. I worked on this help desk for a few years, and that's really kind of what that really that job was really kind of what kind of started me kind of down the road staying in um, technology. Um, but I worked there. I worked. Um, where else did I work? I worked as a. I worked as a. Um, I think it was a. Oh, the other thing I was working as an administrative assistant in a contract job for a company that has since gone under, um, but. I worked with a bunch of consultants there, and then those folks that I worked with, um, which I was a good experience for me, they really kind of pushed me to finish my degree um, and kind of helped me. It was, it was, it was kind of like I was a, I was administrative assistant. I worked with all these consultants, and they were all Ivy League educated folks. And then there was me um, that didn't yet have my degree, and I was really intimidated uh, when I was working with them. Um, really intimidated. They were Ivy League educated and I didn't even have my degree yet. Um, but working with those folks, uh, they really encouraged me to finish, which I did. Um, and here I am. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so you majored in management information systems. I did. I majored in management information systems. I remember when I first went to college, um, the degree program initially was called Decision Support Sciences because it was brand new when I went. Um, and then they changed the name of it. So I think so even the name of the college that I went to, the name of the college changed by the time I graduated. So the degree oh, wow. changed and the, and the college changed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you tell us what management information systems is and what you learned at a high level? Um, I'll tell you how I would describe it. I don't know how much I actually learned in college, to be fair. Okay. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, I honestly feel like I learned probably the vast majority of what I do on the job. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, to me, management information systems is really taking a look at a business, an organization, and trying to apply technology to it. Um, so if I were to go into a department and understand what their pain points are, um, may, you know, I may recommend an application that they want to implement, or I might even change their processes on how they're doing things. Um, it's kind of a combination of, of technology and, and process. That's, oh. that's, the way I, that's the way that I look at it. It's interesting. Oh, is that why you worked at a consulting job? Because that's what it seems like to me, right? Helping companies. Yeah. It, it, dovetailed, it dovetailed really nicely um, with that. And I think just like, 
again, just with the, where I was working and who I was working with, I think really kind of helped um, cement my degree program. Cool. So this was like at the end of college, what were you thinking with regards to, you know, your post-college plans? Oh, well, the, well, I was hoping just to find a job. And I would say like in the state of Oklahoma at the time, there were not a lot of technology jobs. We had, um, we had a few big employers and they had been doing layoffs. So I, my, I initially started, um, as a trainer, it was the only job I could find. Um, oh, what kind of trainer? Software. Oh. So I was just teaching. I, I started off teaching um, desktop applications, which I knew those, you know, kind of like the back of my hand. And then I knew that well enough that they asked me to take a sales position, which I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson. Um, but again, like all the other companies I've worked for, they, they also went under um, as well. But no. I went from there. What, what was nice about working for this training company and, and actually working in a sales position temporarily is I was really comfortable with cold calling um, people. And so as a result of just trying to pure survival, um, I started training on my own because I, you know the, the, group, the company I was working for went under. Mm-hmm. So I just created my own little training group and I actually would subcontract out people that I worked with before they would subcontract out for me. So I would make money off of them. Um, and then I would also train myself and then I had it, I kind of grew like a little small network of folks, um, that could do training as well. I did that. I only did that for about a year or so until I found a, a regular job. Um, but again, I, I, I'm more of kind of along the lines of, um, survival, I think, was the biggest motivator for me. I, I needed to pay my bills, so I just got out and hustled. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I did. Uh, can you teach us some chip, tips and tricks for cold calling? Because, you know, not everyone has the bravery to call and, like, sell something to a oh, random person. I hate it. Um, I really hate it. I'm not good at it. I don't, I don't feel like I'm good at it, but um, I typically would just call people. You know, a lot of things were um, – if I knew somebody who knew, you know, I'd use somebody's name, like, oh, I got your name from, I would say, don't take any of my tips for if you want to be in a sales job. Um, but I would, or I would talk to people about, um, you know, I knew, because in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I would like to refer to as a big, small town. Mm-hmm. So I always, I might not know somebody, but I know someone who knows someone who works somewhere. So if I got an idea of the type of um, applications that they were using, if it was something that I had familiarity with, that would give me enough that I could call someone in whatever position and say, oh, I heard you guys are doing X, Y, and Z. Um, You know, common, you know, kind of just get them talking about common issues that they're having and then, you know, try to offer up, you know, oh, well, I, you know, had that type of problem too and we had these different ways to address it and here's, thing you know here's the value that I can bring to you guys that type of thing um I wasn't I was not a great salesperson but I got I got I sold enough to pay my bills how's that yeah that's good enough (laughs) (laughs) so after a cold calling you said you got like a quote-unquote real job um can you talk more about that like what did you do what did that entail yes it was a terrible job um 
I've had, I've had a lot of terrible jobs. Uh, so this job that I got in particular, it was a company that um, I had worked with when I was, had my own training, you know, when I was, when I was consulting or whatever. And so I called and this woman that was the training coordinator had mentioned that she wasn't going to, she was taking a job somewhere else in the company. And when she told me that, I went out to their website and submitted my application for her job. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I got hired. I got hired on there. Um, I worked there, I'm trying to think, about three. I think I, I worked there for about three years. Um, it was probably one of the worst jobs I've ever had. I won't say. Why, why is that? Oh, it was terrible. The culture was terrible. Um, it was a, it was. A, it was a terrible job. It was a company that they had a, you had to use a badge to get in and out of the doors. They were very locked down. Um, and they, they tracked everybody's time. So it, I think what I, what I really, what really frustrated me is it didn't matter how much work you got done. It just mattered how much time you actually spent in the building. So we called it building time. So if you could, if you like, for instance, if you left for lunch and let's say you were, you came back, you you took an hour and five minutes, they would hold that five minutes over your head. Um, oh my God. Yeah, like little nitpicky things like that, that I thought was a little bit um, silly. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I wasn't meant to last. I knew I wouldn't be there a super long time. I worked there as long as I needed to um, until I found something better. But yeah, and then mm-hmm. after that, I went into the energy industry, which completely changed uh, the game for me personally, as far as the different types of things I was able to get involved in, um, which is kind of really kind of where I landed where I am now. So, Yeah. Tell me, how did you get into the oil and gas energy industry in the first place? Yeah. Um, well, initially... Initially, the oil and gas industry, I actually had done a little bit of work prior to my other real job that I was talking about. So when I was working um, independently, um, I found a job board. I, I can't even tell you how I found this job board. I found this job board, and they were looking for trainers, um, looking for someone that, that would be willing to travel. And they wanted somebody who would travel to... Oklahoma, Texas, Nebraska. No, no, no. Oklahoma, Texas, Wyoming. Was it Oklahoma, Texas, Wyoming? And, yeah. And so I was sitting there thinking, like, I've lived in most of those states, so I'm just going to throw in. And it was oil and gas um, related. And I lowballed them. I gave them a really low ball, like, here was my daily rate. And they picked me up, and then I got there. I was there for about two weeks, and then I renegotiated my daily rates. Um, like, so I just want to get my foot in the door and prove what I could do, which I did, and then renegotiated my rates um, up where I needed to be. And I, I think I worked. I did that for, I did that for a couple of years, and that was for an oil and gas company that was on the servicing side. So they talk about you have different areas of oil and gas, so you have. Um, exploration and production, which is mostly where most people are, are familiar with. Um, and the company I was working for the servicing side. So this is like the side that they may contract the workers that come, the, the rig hands that come and work for you, or they may even rent the rig or any of the equipment that oil and gas um, workers need out in the field. Um, and that's what I worked initially. So the initial project that they had it was a company that they had bought out a bunch of little mom pop oil and gas companies all over the united states 
and they went in and laid down um, IT infrastructure. So we had folks that were going from, it was a hodgepodge of people. So we either had, we either had groups that had never used a computer in their life and the only thing they, you know, they would write everything down. Um, or you'd have some folks that maybe they did have a computer, but they had a computer on their desk and that was it. So we went through um, with teams. So we had one team that went in and laid all the infrastructure and got everything set up. And then you had the other teams that went in and you know, made sure that you had uh, everybody had you know, user accounts, email addresses, and everything like that. And then my group came in and we actually trained them on, uh, we initially trained them on how to even use a computer because we had some folks that had never touched a computer ever before in their life. Um, wow. So we went through one week and would show them basics. And then we went through and did the, I think we did like the Microsoft Office suite. And then we put in um, an enterprise system, and then we trained them on that afterwards. So it was like several rounds of different levels of, of training of those folks. And so I traveled all over the United States, but probably in areas that no one's ever heard of <laughs> that, have, that you have to drive out to. That's not There's not a direct flight to. Um, and so I probably did a few years um, doing that. Prior, so when I got into uh, oil and gas again later on in my career, that was in the exploration and production space. Um, and within that, I worked in operations, which that's the most fun part, I think, to work in in oil and gas. Um, it's what keeps the lights on. Um, and so for that one, I worked a lot out in the field. So at the time, I was the most traveled technology person in the company. Um, because I went to all of the field offices. The, the folks that used the software that I supported were the guys and gals out in the field. So I would go out into well sites, and um, it, was, it was really interesting to be able to kind of get a day in the life of, so you kind of have a better understanding of when you're designing the software for them, what's actually going to be of value to them versus they don't care about, you know, certain things they don't care about. <laughs> mm -hmm. work. So. Oh, okay. So what was your job title at the time? Was it like project management, program management? Oh, well, yeah, I was a project manager. I was a business analyst. I was a project manager. And then I ended up um, supervising a SCADA team, supervisory control and data acquisition. That was my team for a little while. Um, we had software that would, that you could control the well site from, well, remotely. Mm. Um, okay. and then from there I went into, I have to remember all the places I've been. Um, but I mean, a lot, a lot of the work that I did while I was there would I'd probably really be equated more to like product work where I would write up the requirements, um, and work with the development team and with the business teams, um, to get that sorted out. Um, yeah, project manager, SCADA supervisor. Then I was a engineering manager, and then I was a director of engineering. Um, wow, all sorts of titles. things. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Let, let's break this down. So, business analyst, like, what is a business analyst? Like, what what did you do? Business analyst. A, yeah. Um, yeah. So, not in that space, a business analyst. I would really go out to the field offices and get an understanding of, you know, what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, what was 
The challenge there, working at oil and gas, is depending on the area of the United States that they were located in. So mm-hmm. geography could play a big part of it. So if I had um, somebody working in oil and gas in West Virginia versus someone that's working in oil and gas in Midland, Texas, their needs um, as far as what the software does and what it captures can be very different. And the processes okay. that they have to follow can be very different. Um, and so I had to have an understanding of all of those items and then take a look at what features we could add to the software that would be applicable to everyone, um, you know, that basically buy the, you know, provide the biggest bang for the buck. Um, and so I did, I did a lot of that. Mm, so what skills did you have to acquire to be successful? Oh, you have to, I think soft skills for that is going to be a real big one um, because of the users that you're working with. And I think oil and gas industry um, can be tough. Uh, you have, if you're working with folks that are out in the field, their tolerance for the people from corporate is quite low, which I don't blame them a bit because they're trying to actually do the actual work, whereas the folks from corporate are coming in and getting in their way and asking them all kinds of ridiculous questions. Um, so I think it's really important to know how to read the situation, but also understand where to, you know, I really like to meet them where they are. I don't want them to come meet me where I am. Um, so for example, you know, when I was working out in the field a lot, like during the summer, I'll give you an example. So like during the summer, especially in the Southern part of the United States, it can get really hot. And if you have the, the, the lease operators that are working out in the field, they may want to start at four or five o'clock in the morning um, because of the, you know, it's so hot during the day that it, it makes it really miserable. And when I would go, when I would contact them and find out when it would be a good time for me to come and meet with them, you know, their initial was like, well, you're not going to like what we have to say. And I, you know, like, okay, so when do, would you want me to be out there? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. if we said 5 a.m., I said, okay. If they said 4 a.m., I would be there at 4 a.m. Um, I'm not. I'm there to make their lives easier. I'm not there to make their lives harder. And so I think it's really important that you understand that and that you respect it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of mistakes that I've seen on folks. Um, you know, oil and gas might be extreme, but I've seen other other folks where they really feel like when they when they go out to um, you know, a well site, or if they go, you know, to other business contact, they really want to make them kind of, you know, I'm going to come in at this certain time on this day and you should be there. They don't take into account that, you know, maybe that interrupts a really important part of their day. Um, and so I really try to work in that way. How do I accommodate them? I don't want them to have to accommodate me if I can, if I can help it. Mm. Because you're eventually like helping them as well, yeah. right? Well, it, it goes a long way too in relationship building. Um, I think that's another thing that's really important, and especially, I mean, on, I mean, honestly, I think building software, I think reputation is everything. So if I'm contacting somebody to ask them questions, I don't want them to avoid my calls. I would rather them go, oh, it's her. I want to talk to her because she can help me. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, and I think that what worked out well is after spending quite a bit of time out in the field in different locations um, and building those relationships, um, some of those folks that, you know, maybe weren't much of a uh, 
weren't on, weren't, you know, weren't much of a technophile to begin with, they would email me or, or even call me with ideas um, that they weren't doing that before. And that was one of those things that was like, I want to know any idea that you have as dumb as you think it is, or if it's, if it's something that's really trivial, because if it solves a problem for you, that may end up solving a problem for somebody else in the company that they weren't even aware of because they just don't talk to each other. So, mm. so like were your customers people inside the company or were they external? Yeah, my customers were internal to the company. So okay. we had, at the time, uh, I'm trying to remember how many folks that we had. I think I had between, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I had, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. I thought I had between like three to 5,000 users um, for the application that I was supporting. So I had, we had several um, lease operators all over the United States that were using it. That might oh, wow. Much. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, well, and you had the, well, even there you had, with the application itself, you had the lease operators. So those are the folks that were out in the field that were gathering all of their production data. So anything that sucked out of the ground, oil, water, gas, whatever. Um, so you had those folks. But then we had another subset of users that we had actually in the field offices. Um, those would be like your production assistants. They, they're, they're basically auditing all of the data that comes in from the folks out in the field and they're making sure that that production data looks good because then once they audit that production data then that information would then flow to the folks in corporate and then they then the engineers would be taking a look at the production data to see how the wells were performing understanding if the equipment's going to be you know if the equipment is going to be breaking down or if they need to change out the equipment and um, things like that so there were kind of several levels to the users and that. The process. Gotcha. Yep. What were some of like the most common problems that you faced like, from drilling the oil to like the end of the process? Yeah. Um, honestly, of everything that we did, I think the most common problem was communication. Um, and so like one of the things that we had is, you know, we had one application that would, that would get the production data. Um, but then they also had a feature on there that, if the well was down for a certain number of hours or if there was like a, they've gotten a warning on there, you know, like if it wasn't within a certain um, margin, they would ask for a comment from the lease operators and the lease operators just got to where they would just put whatever they wanted to for comments because they, all they had to do was just get text in the field and that would clear it out. So you'd get these nonsensical um, comments. So I started when I would go out to do training, I would also show them like from the very beginning to the very end where that data ends up and also to understand who sees that data along the way and how they mm -hmm. interpret that. Because there have been some conversations, this is kind of funny, is there have been some conversations unbeknownst to me um, that, had, that had gone on because of these comments that had been put in there. So one that was particularly funny, um, we had a lease operator that would put an MF and he meant meter freeze because the weather had been so cold, the meter froze, but he just put MF. Well, the engineer that saw it, as you can imagine, um, in Oklahoma City was like, he thought it was a, he thought the mm -hmm. guy, you know, it was those types of things. And then yeah. it was funny because I would, I would go through and kind of talk through these things at different field offices. And as soon as I, and I didn't know where the, 
I didn't know who the culprits were, but it was funny because when I was going through the training, I had mentioned, you know, some examples of, if you put this in there, this is this going to be, and I hear this guy in the back go, oh my gosh, <laughs> what happened? And then he explains about this conversation that had happened, and he never knew why this guy was so mad at him. Now he knew. But it helped the guys out in the field understand, oh, people are looking at this. So we did come up with, like, some some acceptable acronyms. Um, so I was telling him, I'll go, how about instead of, like, MF, you could put, like, M-T-R-F-R-Z, you know, just just enough that – you can kind of tell what the word is without, you know, being able to misconstrue it for something else. So that was kind of entertaining. <laughs> mm, did he come up with a list of like acronyms? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd work with, I would work with, um, cause there, there's on the different field offices, <clears throat> depending on the type of production they were doing, they had common uh-huh. issues like a meter freeze was common in certain parts of the United States. And so we would come up with, things that were acceptable that everybody could use. Awesome. So we talked about business, business analysts and then project management. Uh, What was the difference between a VA and a project management role and how did you acclimate to the new role? Yeah. um, Project management is really more, more oversight, right? Of an Mm -hmm. entire, of a project or whatever. So business analyst is more like an individual contributor to that, you know, to that project. Project management can be working a ton with stakeholders to give them an understanding of, okay, here's where we are, here's where we, here's where we want to be, and here's when we want to be there, um, and this is how we're going to be there. But then also communication, letting them know if we're running late, um, if we have something that you know we need support on, we have a block on something, we need somebody else to come in and help remove that block. Um, so there's again a lot more so- a lot of soft skills. A lot of stakeholder management, um, tons of communication. Um, I would mm-hmm. say that's probably the the vast majority of the pro- of project management, in my opinion. Awesome. Can you explain, like, for you know, concrete, <coughs> like a concrete example of a project in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I did one for an energy company. One one particular one for an energy company here that I ended up working um, for in a contract position for a while, they did an upgrade of um, Wellview for the entire organization. Um, What's Wellview? Wellview is used by uh, drilling um, drilling groups. So they're taking a look at everything that goes on um, with the well itself. Don't ask me all the details. This was, the drilling was not my, it was not my area. Um, okay. I, I, I focused on the area that was after drilling. So once they drilled the well and, and started producing, but this one was, this application in particular was, used for um the drilling group um and we had i think it was i'm trying to remember i think it was about a five million dollar it was about a five million dollar project um we had a couple hundred people on the project itself so we had at that time we also had a bunch of folks out in the field so we had um we had basically like an army of folks that would go out up and also if we needed them to go out and update physically go and update somebody's machine if they weren't able to come in and dock it um and so we just had a huge it was a it was a pretty big undertaking i just remember that was my mo- that was probably my most successful one as far as my estimation i think we 
I think we got within two weeks of the original date, which is not bad. Um, cause I think we started in, we started in like September and I think we ended in like March of the next year. And then we were only off, I think of $5 million. I was only offered by $20,000. Um, I'm never going to get that good again, I don't think. But um, but yeah, so we had uh, tons of <clears throat> we had work that had to be done on the, by the project team that were that was located at corporate. So those are the guys that were actually managing the application itself. Um, and then we had all of the everything that we had to do out without the with the field offices and coordinating all of that and, and coordinating all the folks out in the field that could actually update those. We had we had a variety of different ways that we had to get everybody's um, computers updated, depending on if they had a desktop or a laptop, depending on where they were physically located. Um, so we had to plan all of that out. So it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big undertaking. Mm. What did you attribute to that success? Um I think we took the proper time to plan it out. Um, and that was the thing is that that's, I mean, I think that's kind of what bites a lot of people up in the, in the bum to begin with is everybody kind of rushes to start execution, um, without taking enough time to actually plan everything out, but to look at even, you know, when are people are actually going to be available? Then you have the buffer that you need to put in there, you know, sick days, any type of emergencies, um, if the system goes down, you have all, you know, you have all kinds of things that can, that can go wrong. So you have to try to, um, figure out, you know, what your buffer is going to be. Um, and then getting the time that you need with the different technical folks to make sure you're able to break the work down, um, and going through that with, and, you know, we went through that several times, um, in great detail just to make sure that we hadn't missed any steps. And we also had lessons learned from the last time that they had tried to do that. Uh, and that was one thing that I did benefit from immensely is the project manager that had done it before me had kept a uh, really good record. So I had gone back and like the lessons learned and, and incorporated that into the project plan that I did. Mm, so documentation. That's usually, not, that's usually not the case. Usually you go in and you have nothing to start with. So that oh, wow. a lot. Yeah. Do you then start documenting for the next person who's going to do it? Ah, I did. Okay. Yeah. And we, and I think at that at that company, they had everything in um, Microsoft Project, which I'm not a huge fan of Microsoft Project, but I kept all my stuff in there. So, Thank nice, you. cool. So, congrats. So, project management, program management. What's the difference? Um, so, a project can be typically one project, and a program is just basically a mini project. Oh wow! <laughs> how how did you yeah, acclimate you to? Like, you have like one, you might have a portfolio manager that's over several project managers. Um, it's just basically, it's basically project management, but at scale. That's the way that I look at it. Oh, so like managing a bunch of projects. Mm-hmm. How, how did you acclimate to that? Because it sounds very overwhelming. <laughs> I think it can be overwhelming. I think probably what helped me is because I had been working in operations for so long. Um, cause even when, before I even went into, into that at the prior oil and gas company, I'd worked in different facets of operations. So SCADA is different than, um, production capture. So like the, everything you're capturing from that's being produced. Um, so all of the different applications that we integrated with, 
I also was very familiar with the different lines of business that, that were associated with each one of those. So going into program management was pretty easy for me because I already had familiarity with those different areas. Um, mm. Which I realize that some folks don't always have that either. I was lucky. I was I was lucky in that respect as well. So, uh, did you plan out your career, or did it happen like accidentally? I still haven't planned out my career. I'm not, which sounds really bad. I don't know. Um, I've been planning. I feel like I've been planning all of my life, but I didn't plan my career. <laughs> Everything. Wow. Well, I've worked as you know, I worked as an engineering manager. And I don't code. Um, Wait, I, how did that happen? Like, why did you uh, want to become, tell me well, about I it. Mean, even like going back to when I first went into a leadership role and I was going to be supervising the SCADA team, it's a very technical team, Yeah, a very technical team. And I wasn't going, I hadn't even planned on um, applying for the job. I wasn't, I didn't even think I had, a, I didn't even think about it, to be honest. And the way I guess what had happened is when the, the guy that I replaced, I had worked with him before, and his, when he was leaving, he had been asked, you know, if there's anybody in the company, like a project manager or somebody that he would recommend, because they thought they really thought they wanted somebody with project management skills. And so he recommended me. I had no idea. And they, appro- they approached me about the position. Um, and I thought they were crazy that to ask me to do that. I thought, well, okay. And when I talked to my boss about it, she was very supportive of, of it, um, actually. And I would say she's one of the reasons that I got into leadership. So always um, love that about her. But she encouraged me to do it, and I threw in for it, and I got it. So um, I think initially I was I was petrified. It was I was the only female, so I was managing entire all men, we're real young guys, um, mm-hmm. and I was fortunate in that I had a really great team that had a lot of patience, um, but I also studied my bum off. Um, so if we talked about anything during the day, I would take notes and cram at night and just do as much as I could to get up to speed so I could hold conversations with them. And you know, the other thing, too, is I didn't want them to feel like they had a leader that came in that had no clue, um, which I kind of didn't. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I at least demonstrated that I was, I was, I was going to get there. And I mean, I think as far as like, even on the engineering side, I got a job, um, for a company. So I had stopped, I was no longer working for, um, local oil and gas companies. And, um, this position popped up and it was just kind of funny. They were looking for a project manager that understood SCADA. I've never seen a job listing with those combinations ever. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only project manager in the state of Oklahoma that understands SCADA. So I went ahead and threw in for it because I thought, if I don't get this job, then there's something wrong. Um, but I landed that job, and it was about a month or so, probably about three, or three months later, they promoted me to the engineering manager job. Um, and I think mostly it was because the boss that I had at the time went to a different position and they just need a warm body. That's what I said. I mean, I did do things that got me there, but um, it was one of those things that, again, I didn't think I was the right person for the job necessarily, but I really excelled there. Um, and the whole part of it was because I did, I did understand oil and gas domain very, very well. 
Um, and I do work really well with development teams. I always have. I um, mean, it's, you know, I'm not a developer, but I typically have a, a better, you know, I have a pretty good way of understanding co- technical concepts, um, understanding, uh, you know, I'll ask the right, I'll ask the questions to understand, you know, how do things need to be sequenced, or maybe they can help me explain something to a stakeholder, or maybe I'll even bring a developer with me from time to time. Um, and so it worked out well. I mean, I think I think a lot of it has to come from actually having been a business analyst a million years ago. Um, I can write user I can write user stories, um, tat, any of that kind of stuff. I can help people understand how to break it down and how to communicate better with the um, engineering team. And I think that again. The, the communication piece of it, I think, is what's really helped me is um, I've been pretty good about understanding who all needs to be involved in the communications, who needs to be notified of certain things um, on the engineering side and on the business side as well. So, mm, Okay. So how did you help the engineering members? Because you said you didn't code at the time, right? Right. I don't code. Um, well, I would look at – I would talk to them about actually – being more empathetic to the users. Um, so getting a good understanding of the business use case um, and breaking it down for the developers to help them understand why those requests are coming in. Um, I had a request one time that I was talking through with an engineer and he was just like, that's really dumb. Like I can't remember what they were wanting to do, but he just thought that was really dumb. And so when I gave him a little more context about the job itself, um, the conditions in which they were working in, and the types of decisions that they were trying to make and how they need to make them, then he understood like, oh, okay. Um, so I've always kind of been the glue in between the engineering team and the business side that I've been able to kind of be the conduit to help them. Oh, the translator. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. Wow. Um, what, what kind of leader were you at the time? What was your style? Um. I just like to be fair. I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody's coming and asking for a late, you know, a last request and they're expecting somebody to work, you know, overtime because they, you know, were late, I'm not going to push somebody to do that. Um, I, t- I, I tend to lean more into the humanity aspect of it. Um, I think if you treat people like human beings, and you are respectful and you treat them as a whole person that um, they'll slay dragons for you. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel the same way about my, about my teams. Um, you know, I have my teams, I, I try to make it apparent um, that I will help them in any way, shape, any way, shape or form I can. I've had, I've had teams that have had to work late nights and maybe I can't code late nights, but I can be there bringing them food. Um, I can, you know, send their kids to a movie. I can, you know, like whatever, you know, give them a gift card to take their, their, their um, spouses to dinner, you know, as a makeup for missing the time that they had. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, I just try to look at it as, all of the terrible jobs that I have had and um, some of the not so great bosses I had, I try to do what they don't do. Um, or I try to do what I wish they would have done. Um, so if that's the, if that's the management style that I, that I, that I use. 
Mm, interesting. And then like going back to your childhood, you said in sports that you yeah. you were good at looking at different people's personalities and strengths and then combining them. Yeah. So how did how did that develop as you became an engineering manager? Yeah. Um actually that's funny that you mentioned that. I was just talking about this the other day. Um well, for example, I had a there's QA. I, I, I like to pick on QA. I love QA. Um so the QA folks on the team are usually the, the initially like the least popular people on the team, right? Because whenever they're contacting somebody, that means there's a problem. Um, and so I've always told somebody, I'm like, if the QA, if QA really annoys you, if they're really annoying, it means they're doing a really good job. Um, usually that's, they're the ones that you're just like, oh, if they call, if they call you or email you or, or send you a message, you're like, yeah but you need them on the team. You have folks that, um, you have folks that maybe their soft skills aren't great. Um, you know, I've had several, I've had some engineering folks that have their soft skills, soft skills haven't been great, but they're really great coders. Mm-hmm. I'll put them on the, maybe if they're back end, they're back end. They don't have to have any type of customer interaction if, if necessary. Um, and that keeps them happy. Um, I think it's just one of those to really kind of study the personality um, and kind of the, you know, the discipline, and then you can kind of figure out what's a good spot for them. And, you know, and they, they might be good in their role, but maybe the team isn't a good fit. Um, so it's really kind of studying everybody. I, 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 I tend to like to observe people for a little bit of time before I make any type of um, decision, decision. where to place them. And yeah. Mm. Have you ever had an instance where a team member wanted to move to another team or switch careers and how did you support them? Yeah. Um, always. That happens always. Um, you know, I think I just go back to the few times that I have been at a, in a position where I wanted to pursue something maybe outside of the company or maybe something inside the company, but somewhere else. And I work for a place that it was always really bizarre to me that if you mentioned that you wanted to do that, the, you know, whoever your manager was would just take it as a personal attack. Attack. Um, I don't agree with that. I just don't. Um, I think, you know, people's careers are very personal. Um, and you can, why you, why you were happy in that role for, you know, a number of years, you could finally get to a point where you are looking for more of a challenge or maybe something different or something like that. Um, I think with the folks that have worked for me, and I've always said this, my job is to help them get to where they want to be, wherever they want to do when they grow up. And, you know, while I hope it's in the same company where we are, if it's not, I would still support them. Um, It doesn't do me any good to, you know, throw a fit or try to throw roadblocks out there for them. If somebody really wants to pursue something, why wouldn't you help them go for that? I just, I mean, we only have one life to live. Um, and I, I think it's pretty selfish to, you know, assume, you know, now I will, if I've had people that have come up where I, they've get, told me things. I'm like, that's a really bad idea. I'll tell them if I think it's a bad idea. Um, I certainly don't expect them to agree with me, but I would say, I hope that I built enough of a relationship with somebody on my team that they would know that when I am providing that um, feedback, that it's genuine. Um, but I'll, I'm always honest with them too. You don't have to. You don't have to agree with me, um, 
or maybe it's maybe it's a path that I've already been down before, and I can share my experience with them. Um, I'll do that as well. But oh, I always support them. Um, I just think it's. I don't think it. I don't think anybody wins uh, when you try to prevent somebody from going after something that they're interested in. Mm. That's interesting. And then. You also mentioned someone like an engineer that didn't have good soft skills. Do you have any advice for people to, you know, develop soft skills? Because I think it can be taught. It can be learned. Yeah. But what's your, what's your take? Man, it's, it's a tough one. And I think it's one of those you have to be, you have to be open to it. And you also have to be open to looking really deep at yourself. Within. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really interesting, um, years ago I got, certified in uh, the Frank, some of the Franklin Covey stuff. This is a long time ago. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, that was like my favorite one. But I got certified to train that. And as part of this training, I could train this workshop, but they used to, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they used to have a 360-degree review. Have you ever done one of those? Uh, no, I've not. I've heard of those, but I've never oh, done it. They're great, although I have a really thick skin, depending on what you do with that. Um, but 360-degree review basically is I'm going to assess myself. I'm going to have people that I work with assess me. If anybody reports to me, I'd have them assess me. And if I report to anybody, I'd have them assess me. So everybody around me. And then you compare your scores against what everybody else thinks of you. Mm. So you want to, there's, there's areas where you will score yourself high and they'll score yourself low. And that's where you're like, Oh, um, but I would say it was interesting because one answer, cause I, for the most part, mine were pretty close. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't too out of my mind. Um, well, at least like my perception versus their perception, but there was one in particular, there was a question about, um, do I respect other people's time? And I rated myself very high. <laughs> and I had somebody not rate me high at all whatsoever. And my initial, my initial reaction was I was going to be really upset. I was just like, you know, it's just a human thing. You're like, oh, how dare you, you know, whatever. But when I took the time to think, when I, got, when I let my ego go, because that's the other part, you got to let your ego go. When I took my, the time to think about the interactions I had with this one individual that had rated me, and I really thought about it in, in context with respect of time, and she was right. Um, because what I would do is I would send her an email, and then I would immediately walk over to her desk and be like, okay, where's the thing, you know, whatever. Uh... She's in the middle of something, you know, like I just... I just had this expectation that, you know, I sent her this email. So, I mean, obviously she should be dropping everything and attacking that. But it was one of those when I started thinking through some of those things and really be honest about what I did and how it could be perceived in a certain way or how it actually was, um, I changed the way that I behaved and it improved our relationship. Um, and it's just one of those, part of it is you, you, you've really got to be open to scrutinizing yourself and being okay with 
not seeing with seeing things that maybe you are not that proud of. Um, but I think with the with the intent of okay, now that I am aware, how what are things I can do to improve that? Um, and I think you know, like for example, I had this one one developer in particular who was really tough soft skills. They had a really hard time with soft skills, and I had um, observed him. I listened in on a phone call between the team that I had here in Oklahoma with the team in India, and he was really abrasive um, in the calls. And when I had a discussion with him, I also had to explain the cultural differences um, between the way that we communicate versus the way they communicated in India. Um, you know, and Americans were pretty abrasive. Um, we're very abrasive compared to a lot of other cultures. Um, but I had to kind of explain it to him as like, you know, if I'm going to get on a call and I feel like I'm getting attacked every time I get on that phone call, how, what's the likelihood that you're going to join that call again? What's the likelihood that they're going to come to you with, with a problem because you're just going to make them, you're going to say things or make them feel inadequate, um, who wants to sign up for that every day? So I, I just think on some of those, self-reflection is probably the biggest challenge I think that a lot of people have, but I think it's one of those that if you actually take the time to do it, you'll you'll learn a lot about yourself. Mm, so self-awareness and also asking people for feedback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it it's awkward at first. I went through what was that, even that, um, to get certified to train that. I went out to California and I sat in on, you know, we, we all had to do our 360 assessment and then bring, they were going to give us the results in that session. And I remember one person really struggled. Um, they got the results. I don't think they came back after, <laughs> after oh, they got no. them. And that was just like, they were just done. Um, so it can, I mean, it can be, it can be tough, but I think sometimes it's, you know, we all need a, a kick in the pants every now and again. I, I think it's good for everybody, honestly. Awesome. So engineering management, how did you transition to the engineering director role? Was that, did you want to become a director or oh, what yeah, happened? Of course. Um, yeah. So what was cool was we had, it was kind of a neat, it's kind of a neat, I don't know. I think it's a neat story. Um, I was working for a company. They embarked on kind of a new venture in doing, in creating software for oil and gas. Um, and our team, my team, I found out was, was on the chopping block. I had known this for a little while and it was very, I was very stressed out. It was very stressed out about it. And there was a company here in Oklahoma city that I had actually worked for. Um, that we had an engagement with another team was involved in that engagement. And just, just because of geography, that is the only reason um, they reached out to me and asked if I would help manage the project. So I had learned that the, the assumption was, was that my, myself and my team were going to fail and then that would give them what they needed and they were going to get rid of our team. <laughs> um, we did not fail. Um, we we actually got it. We actually got we actually got it going. Um, 
and uh, salvage the whole project. And just as a result of that, um, and they, I got promoted to the director role. Oh, wow. Was, I'm trying to think. That was, that was probably a good solid six months or more of some pretty intense um, work. We did, a, we did some good, we did some good work. I was very proud of my team um, that I had them. It was, they did awesome. Yeah. Yay. And how was that transition for you? Um, I mean, it felt the same as being a manager. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the only thing that I felt that was different, like I I think was like the paycheck. I think everything else was kind of the same. Um, Oh, was the scope different? Like the responsibilities, the goals as a director versus manager? I mean, they really weren't. It really, it really wasn't. Um, and I think that's been a few times, like when I've, gone up into different levels of leadership sometimes it's just how it is you're already kind of doing it and then now you get the title um oh sometimes pay comes with it sometimes pay doesn't come with it it just depends but yeah mm. so what did he do as a director there's all these big things that happen mm. not so much so yeah what did you do as a director what was your goal in the role oh well, my goal in that role in particular was just to get um, get a few more teams established. But the entire my entire the entire organization ended up going away, so that didn't work out. Oh no! That's what happens with oil and that's an oil and gas thing too, though. Oil and gas. Is, oh really? Yep. Wait, why? Why do companies just go poof? Um, this one in particular, I will not say the company, um, yeah, I'm trying to think it was like not long. I had not been with the company. I'm trying to think how long I've been with the company. I've been with the company for about six months or more. Um, and the CEO, uh, this is like the second CEO that I've, I've had that at different companies that have had problems, but this one in particular, the CEO came under scrutiny, um, for, uh, I think spending practices and some other things, he was going to retire. And then they were like, you know what, you can just be gone now. And so they just put him out, put him out the door. Um, and then after that it was, you know, layoffs. And I think the guy that came in behind him, he only lasted a few months and then they got a different CEO. So it was, there was a lot of turmoil going on unbeknownst to me prior to stepping into this role. And then they spun up this whole new organization, um, from the CEO that got ousted. And then that was kind of the writing on the wall for us as well. Um, so but how, how did you deal with politics? Like tough bosses and things like that. Oh yeah. What, what tips do you have for our audience? Try to remain calm, stick to the facts, try to leave your emotions out of it. Um, and I say that not saying that I've done that every time. Um, but, you know, especially when you get into the really difficult conversations, you've got to stay as focused as you can on the actual events that occurred, not your opinion of the events that occurred, not how it made you, you know, feel. It's, you've got to be really focused on that and try to be, try to keep your emotions out of it as much as you can, which I'm not always the best at that, um, but yeah, I would say on those in those meetings, um, in those discussions, I think it's really important to, to you know kind of stick with 
with the facts. I mean, and that was one of the things too that I had to be really mindful of, even with with the uh, with the project that I kind of helped resurrect that resulted in my promotion. We were involved in tense conversations with the customer at that time because they were really upset with us. Um, it had been handled really poorly, and I had to come in behind that. And you know, that's the other thing that can be hard too is when you walk into a situation where you're on the losing team. Um, from the beginning and then you've got to try to resurrect it. Um, and so that was one of those, even in that situation, I basically told them what I was going to do. And then I did the thing that I said I was going to do. It's really kind of, you know, to me, it's a very simple formula and, you know, lay out, here's the, here's the, uh, milestones. And if I say I'm going to call you on Friday, I'll call you on Friday. Um, or if I say we're going to have an update on Tuesday, we have an update on Tuesday. If I, if we're going to be late, the second I know we're going to be late, I let them know that we're going to be late and expect, you know, here's when you can expect it again. Um, so yeah. Oh, being reliable. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody will say things that you want to hear in a meeting, but when they, when they don't follow through and if they don't follow through on a consistent basis, no one's going to listen to you anymore. Um, and so I think that's the other thing is that just the part of the relationship building I would rather say I'll have it, you know, I'll have it ready for you on Tuesday. And if I'm not going to have it ready on Tuesday, I'd rather just say I'm not going to have it ready on Tuesday instead of like, oh, uh, we're going to push the meeting out a little bit further or we're going to, you know, kind of the tap dancing that goes along with it. Um, I'm personally not much of a tap dancer. I would rather just say this is what's happening um, and then go from there. So. Mm, awesome. And then, okay, in a hypothetical situation, if you were to become an engineering director, what would you look for in a CEO? Um, what I would look for in a CEO, I would look for, um, I think, a strong vision and a strong understanding of how to execute it, but also someone that can put a team together, but knows how to get out of their way. Um, you know, that's, that can be a challenge sometimes too, is you'll get in with a role and then you start to do it. Oh, you need to do this and this and this and this. And you're like, okay, so did you hire me because you wanted me to, I mean, I think when you start getting to certain levels, the hope is they hire you because they're, they know you're good at it. Right? Yeah. They, they trust you and you're going to run with it, not come in and then sit on top of you and, and, you know, kind of micromanage you. Um, I would say, yeah, I would look strong vision, someone with a very strong vision and then someone who knows how to put a team together and then get out of the way. That's what I would look cool. for. Yeah. Awesome. And then you, you did your MBA, correct? Mm -hmm. What value did you get from your MBA and why did you do it in the first place? Um, good question. Why did I do my MBA to begin with? I'm trying to remember. Um, I just, it was one of those, I just felt like I needed, I just needed to do something in addition to what, I mean, I just didn't feel like my undergrad was, was, was enough. And it's probably not a great, that's probably not a great answer. But um, at the time that I was getting my MBA, I was pregnant. I was going to school at a night, in a night program. And then my husband was uh, getting cancer treatments in California. Um, oh, no. And I was working full time during the day. So that whole, like, I did, uh, I think I did, I did a year accelerated MBA program. Um, 
it was, I mean, I look back now, that was just an absolute blur. Uh, I had so much going on at the time, but, um, it was, I mean, at the time it was one of those, everybody, everybody at the time, um, that was kind of moving up in organizations, they had an MBA and so I got an MBA. Did you regret it or were you happy about it looking back? I can't say I'm, I'm kind of neutral, I guess. I don't, I, I can't sit there and say like, oh, I've got this MBA and all these doors opened up. I think at the time I got it, I got like a $5,000 raise. Uh, I was working for. Um, I, I wasn't see. making that much there to begin with. So the $5,000 was, you know, whatever. But um, I think it's one of those that it's helped me. It's helped me, uh, you know, with other leadership roles. I think just that having the MBA, um, I think helped, but I don't know. I'm kind of neutral on it. I don't know that it's been, any, it's not, I don't think it's been anything that's like really been a catalyst, but yeah. Mm, so how would you say you developed your business sense? Was it through experience? Absolutely. Um, mm. I think some of it was, I think initially, um, you know, when I talked about kind of having my own consulting and where I was, you know, training and stuff myself, um, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot with that, just even understanding, you know, when you're going to, how to invoice a company and make sure you get paid at a certain time or establishing relationships. Um, I think, you know, the other thing too is all of the traveling that I did um, oil and gas. I mean, I came across so many different personalities. Um, I've been, I've encountered so many different weird, fun, scary situations that you can think of. Um, I'll, I'll be somewhere and somebody will be, somebody will be talking about something and I, I can probably pull out a story <laughs> that's related or something that I've done. Cause I've either been in that part of the country or there was something similar that I went to. Um, but I think, honestly, I think just, um, all the travel that I did, um, and I was around, you know, when I was with, um, you know, I worked with a bunch of other consultants. I worked with some really good people, uh, and I had some good mentors along the way that I think, you know, I just kind of took a page out of their book. I had some really good examples, um, that were there for me. So I don't, I mean, I had, I would say my education did about this much for me. I think experience did everything else, um, to be honest. Awesome. Okay, so you switched from oil and gas to transportation. I did. Why did you, why did you switch? Why transportation? <laughs> Nothing to do with, it was a job that was open. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. There was a, I had been working, well, I'd been working as a, I was, that was when I was a director of engineering, and then that job was going away. And I had, I landed, I had, I had a, two jobs at the time. Well, no, three, two, two or three. Um, one was with the same organization. I could have stayed there and made more money. Um, and then I had a, an opportunity to work with a small oil and gas company that they were kind of a startup. Um, they're no longer. Um, but I went with them for, I think I was there for, maybe nine months or so and right they were getting ready to lay me off they were laying a bunch of people off and I saw this role um and they wanted somebody that could code and I thought eh 
I'm probably, I wasn't going to go for it. And then I thought, eh, why not? Why not? Yeah. So I, yeah, I threw my resume, I threw my resume in and being Oklahoma, the hiring manager saw this one company's name on my resume. And there was another guy that had worked at the same company. And so he asked him if he knew me and that guy did know me and that's how I got in. So uh, he's the reason I got my foot in the door. I'm the reason I got my other foot in the door. Um, so I went and interviewed, um, I interviewed with a hiring manager and, um, his, who he reported to directly. And then I also interviewed with the, with a couple, with a few members of the development team. And, um, it was a really good fit. It, I mean, it, from the, from the very beginning, I guess that's one of the few times where I've come in and talked to a team that I felt like I had been there the whole time. Um, we, we got along like peas and carrots. So, uh, oh, wow. We, yeah, it was, it was a great fit. And, um, I really enjoyed my time at that company as well. I really, really did. I think I met, well, I met you. I met a lot of, um, really great people that I still hear from. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, it, transportation wasn't the draw. It was the engineering manager, um, aspect of it and the, the possibility of working with an engineering team. That's, that's one thing that I do know, regardless of wherever I go, uh, going forward, I want to be around an engineering team. I may not be an engineer, but I want to be around an engineering team. I really like working with smart. I love working with smart people. Um, I love working with the different personalities. And the other thing that I like being involved in, in software engineering is all of the different cultures that I've been exposed to. I've met people from all different countries. I've learned about all different types of cuisines um, traditions, just, it's one of those, I feel like it's really enriched my life. Um, I just wouldn't have it any other way. I just think if I worked in an an office, if I worked not in engineering, um, it just sounds really boring. I don't, I don't know if I would enjoy it. I I need to have the variety. I love having the variety of people and I don't know. And I like having some of the people that don't have soft skills. (laughs) I, I sometimes get along with those people. So, um, I enjoy it. It's, it's just a, I just, I don't know. I'm just very drawn to, to, uh, variety. Yeah, I really am. Mm. And how was this engineering management role different from your time at oil and gas? Like how did you change as a leader? Yeah. Um, well I will say oil and gas, the thing that really, I will say that I really got a good, um, solid grasp of is agile. Um, which I think a lot of people would be like, ah, whatever. Um, but that was the one thing that I really, I really got a good foundation from them. And so when I came to this transportation company, um, they were trying to do agile. And so I kind of, and I would say they're probably even still not to where I would want, I would want them to be, but I got them, I got them further down the road. Um, in using Agile, and, and what wor- worked out well was when I first started, that was in 2019, the end of 2019, and really started getting the teams to understand actually how to break the stories down, how to estimate them, you know, and be more predictable, and I got them in that, in that place right before we did a lockdown, so we went from being in the office to being remote, and we didn't really miss a beat. Um, and I think it's because of all the work that we did 
ahead of time that when we went remote, it wasn't much of a challenge, um, wasn't much more of a challenge to, to get the work, keep the work moving, um, and still get releases out and, and get them out on time. So, so good planning, good organization, yeah. communication, obviously, right? Yeah. Cause you know, remote. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Slack. I love Slack. Mm. Awesome. Um, how did you switch from engineering management to a product operations role? Mm, yeah. How, how did that happen? Well, I think at the heart of it, I think deep down, um, I'm an operations person. Uh, you know, I, it's one of those things I kind of came, you know, especially like working oil and gas, I always worked in operations there. It's, you know, how you make the, what is it, how you make the sausages. Um, and so even within, so project operations, I can sit, I can go and look at something and I can understand exactly, almost exactly where the problems are. You kind of identify patterns. Um, if you've been working, if you've worked with Agile long enough and I've worked with different companies, there's a lot of really um, pat, very familiar patterns that you see, but you can also hone in on how can you make things better, um, even, even streamlining communications, what applications are using, who's communicating it to um, all the different tooling that they use to make sure, you know, you might be looking at things from the very beginning as onboarding What's the onboarding process? How can we make it better? Um, what are the tools that are using? How they can make it? What are the acts? What's the permissions and access they need? How can they make it better? And then when we're looking at it from the product operations aspect of it, um, you know, are we are we predictable? Are we you know are we are we getting things out when we say we're going to get them out? Um, I'll be looking at the testing aspect of it, the handoffs between engineering and um, QA. Um, it's really almost like you have a human machine that you're coming up, you know, creating. I, I always have this like assembly line that's in my head. So when people talk about software, I'm thinking about like a physical assembly line. And so I'm going through and designing different processes to get them going. So that way, if anybody steps out of it, it'll continue to go. And then I'll step out to another piece of it and do the same thing. So I'm looking at every aspect of it as whether when the requirements come in, how do the requirements come in, who's logging them, do we have templates for that? I mean, there's all these different little details that you can do at each step of the way along the software development process um, that you can improve it. Um, and that's how product operations, how I got into product operations. Oh, that's like your consulting background from college. Yeah. Yeah, it's like everything, I didn't know it, but all of these years I've been slowly like getting, you know, different uh, pieces of armor um, without even knowing. And you didn't plan it. No, it's that, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is none of my career has been planned. I wish I could say that I had planned it and it would, I would make it sound like I had been very strategic, but I just kind of went with the where it took me and I've been enjoying the ride so I don't know why I should change the formula <laughs> cool uh, I want to switch the topic to women at work um have you ever felt like you struggled because of your gender in your career yes uh, yes. if so how if you're comfortable sharing oh, absolutely I would love to talk about this um yeah, I mean, oil and gas, I think, probably really underline that more than anything else. Um, a lot of times I would be the only female 
Um, I've had comments made about my appearance. I've had comments. Um, I've been asked about what my husband thinks of my occupation, or I've been asked, um, gosh, I can tell you all kinds of stuff. I'm pretty passionate about this, actually. Um, I've had, um, what was a few other things that I had a, like when um, iPhones were first kind of a thing. And I had, I had an iPhone, and I was in a business stakeholder's office, and we were going through apps that we use on our iPhone. And he was asking me about um, some apps I was talking about. There was a grocery, it was a grocery store app. And I said, yeah, it's great, because I can put things on the list, and my husband gets them, and whenever he goes by the grocery store, you know, I kept talking, and this guy's like, what did you just say? He was really bothered. It was really bothering oh that my husband would do grocery store shopping that I wouldn't. And it's not that I don't go to the grocery store. It's, it's more convenient for him. I do it every now and then. But um, there's, there's been a lot of things, a lot of things like that. I've, you know, I've had to listen to, um, I've had to listen to coworkers at lunch talk about a female as she's, as she's walking by, you know, describing her appearance and what they liked or didn't like about it. Um, it's, it's tough. It can be tough. I think it's a lot better now. Um, it's a lot better now. And, and I would say, I'm trying to think of how long it's been. It's been, I think it's probably been a good five plus five or more years, um, that I have not had to listen to that type of thing. Um, and I do feel like right now I'm, well, I'm seasoned enough but I'm also in a position now that if I see something, um, I'm comfortable saying something. Um, and I will often advocate a lot more for the younger women in the workplace um, because I certainly know how it feels to be one of the young ones and feel a little bit, um, you know, vulnerable or not, you know, you don't feel comfortable um, speaking up. But I've, I've, I've had, I had a, I had a, um, for example, the, one of the reasons I left the oil and one oil and gas company. So I had been working there. This is when I was working in a SCADA and um, there had been these secret meetings that had been taking place. We had a, we had a new CEO and we had all these little uh, secret meetings taking place trying to figure out where they're going to slot everybody. And a guy that I was working for at the time came in and told me that someone had inquired about me for a higher position. And of course, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like, what is it? And he said, well, I told him you wouldn't be interested because you have small children that you're eventually going to want to be staying home. What? Yeah. You know, you know, it's like, it, you know when you hear things like that, and I, I, you know, I discussed that with somebody else. I'm like, well, did you tell anybody? And it's like, well, who's going to listen to me? It was me and him in the conversation. So if I go and, and if I go and state that, and, um, you know, I had a, I had a, another place where I had worked, um, when I was doing, when I was training and I had a, um, the guy that I reported to, he was, I found out about, he was introducing me. I guess I had left the room and he made some sexual comments about me in front of a room full of men. And, you know, I didn't know this and I came back in and was training. You know, it's, it's, 
really bad. But I'm glad wow. I I, I've not had to. I've not had anything like that happen in a very, very long time. Um, I hope to not work for an organization that promotes that type of culture. I have worked for, you know, I just, I had no choice um, but to work for some of those types of organizations because it was the only um, job I could find. But um, I've seen a lot of it, a lot. Wow. What advice do you have for a young woman who may be facing these kinds of, you know, stereotypes, bullying, sexual harassment? Um, I would say probably document everything that you can document. And, and again, try to be as unemotional as you can about it. It's really, really hard. It's really hard. Um, dates, times, um, what was said, um, if there's any witnesses to it, um, you know, it's, it's, geez, I'm sitting there thinking about, this is bringing back all these memories. I had a, I had a, well, a long time ago, I worked on it when I worked on the help desk, I was 24. There was, um, there was a guy that was a, a supervisor that was there and, um, they had rolled out these. Computer-based training. I remember it was CBTs. They can roll out these computer-based trainings. And I'd gone through and taken them. And I had aced a bunch of these trainings. So I'd gone through. Because I was really trying to just anything. I guess 24, I would do anything. I wanted to try to move up in the organization. And he came to me because I had the last shift on the help desk. I I was the only person there at the time. And he came to talk to me about, yeah, I saw you were taking these um, tests and you're done really well. And he was asking, you know, like, are you looking to try to get into, and it was a group that was under him. And I was like, yeah, that would be, you know, that would be amazing. And he's like, well, I'm going to go have dinner. Um, you, if you want to just continue talking about it, we can go have dinner. Okay. I didn't know. So I went and had dinner um, with this guy nothing happened. And, um, a coworker of mine was, you know, found out that we had had, had dinner and was kind of, you know, inquiring about it. And I kept thinking like, how did she, I was, I was sort of like, how did she know that we had dinner? Cause there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't anybody around when we were discussing having dinner. And it was because this guy went to her and was asking her if my relationship with my boyfriend was an open relationship. And he was a married man. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. And he used to drive, he would drive back and forth in front of my house. I had to go to HR um, and file a complaint and he did end up getting terminated. Um, it was really, what was really challenging about it is he had worked there for several, several years and, had you know was very well liked and had a lot of friends there and his wife was friends with a lot of the other wives um, of the men that worked there and so even after he left I had um, I had a lot of harassing comments that came to me from the wives um, you know it, I just I don't know I think probably that and really that experience, I mean, I've had other experiences, but nothing as bad as that one. That one was really bad. Um, I have zero tolerance for it right now. I will not stand for it. If I know that anybody on my team is, is having to go through that, or if I find out someone on my team is acting in in, an appropriate way, um, it's everybody should feel 
comfortable when they go to work and everybody should feel like they can contribute um, without any type of repercussions um, from someone. So I don't know. I've got a lot of stories on that, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did you support other women in the workplace as a leader? Because you were in a lot of leadership positions. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I, I typically will try to, I typically will try to connect more with some of the female workers on my team um, and, you know, talk and I will address some of these things. Um, I think I had somebody on my team. She had, we were, we were helping with an interview and there was some back and forth in a Slack channel and she didn't like one of the candidates that came through. It was a, the way that the guy was, um, interacting with her the way versus the way that he was interacting with somebody else. And initially when she had told me about it, I needed time to kind of think it through. And then I was talking to, um, another manager who really kind of felt like, Oh, she's being, I think she's being, um, you know, kind of like, Oh, she's being dramatic. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite understanding this. I went back through the conversation cause I could see the conversation in Slack as far as the conversation they'd had afterwards and really was thinking this through. And the way I described it to him is I said, there are certain, and this, this particular manager was a pretty new mom. So she had a little bit of, you know, feeling a little bit vulnerable of, you know, it can be, you feel when you've had a child, sometimes when you're at work, it's, it's considered a weakness. It can be considered a weakness. I'm not saying it should be considered a weakness. Um, but it's one of those, okay, I've got to go attend to my child or you have, you know, some of these folks that are like, you know, they're going to burn the midnight oil and they're going to, you know, get all this work done. And you're kind of like, well, I could, but now I've got a child now. So after five o'clock, I need to attend to them. I can't be pulling all night or I can't, you know, do that kind of stuff anyway. Um, but what I told him is compared it to, I played basketball one time with a friend's dad. We were playing a pickup game on a court and I was beating him. Um, and he, I went up for a shot and he slammed me down so hard that I actually fell to the ground. It was concrete. It was a concrete court, cement court. And, um, I got bunged up pretty bad. Um, it was just such a jerk move to, to do. And it was one of those, when I was explaining this story to this manager and of course, he's like, why are you telling me this story? I love basketball. I love it. And if I have an interaction like that every time on the court, I'm going to stop playing. And I, you know, I told him, I said, this is the same thing in, in that type of respect, in that type of realm is she enjoys this. And when, you know, you have a, a male that comes down and acts that way, it's like getting slammed on the basketball court. And it's one of those, there's, there's certain sensitivities that I think, again, you know, when we talked about the soft skills and trying to go back and and reassess, like maybe how somebody behaved in that, I think that would have been a situation that, you know, these other, these other men that were involved in the conversation that was going on in the Slack channel and they weren't being, you know, they weren't being like, you know, it wasn't sexually suggestive or anything like that. It was more kind of a bro, you know, like, Oh, he's cool, man. I really liked him and blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, as a female, I didn't feel, you know, you don't feel that side. Sometimes you don't feel that same connection in that way. 
you're bonding over, you know, you know, midnight oil, I'm going to do what it takes and, you know, this kind of stuff. And it really kind of made her feel, you know, vulnerable. Like, Left okay, out. So you're yeah. gonna here and you're going to act like, well, since I have kids, you're going to put me off to the side and you're going to be able to be the superhero. And it just kind of made her, you know, and when I reflected more on that and went back and talked to this manager about it, um, I said, I don't think she's being a dramatic about it. I think it's it's one of those you guys need to be more sensitive, sensitive. to yeah. her situation and the way that this guy came off and how that would have been perceived. Um, and I think it was one of those, it took me a little while to interpret the situation to really, because I, I, I wanted to make sure that I understood her before I weighed in any way, shape or form. Um, and when I really, you know, thought through it, um, I think they were being unfair to her. Um, so I told them, but yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I think it's important, especially if you have a, uh, if you have a woman that's in a leadership position and that's one thing that I didn't have the luxury of having, um, when I was early on in my career, I had, I had all men. Um, if you if you, if you do have a female leader that would be willing to, um, talk to you about that kind of stuff. I mean, there's some things that are just, they are very specific to being a female. Um, and it, it sometimes helps, maybe if that's not even your direct boss, um, it sometimes helps, you know, talking to a woman that's in, in leadership to maybe get a, a different perspective um, or maybe get some um, insight on how to uh, navigate a situation. Awesome. And then you talked about motherhood. You're also a mother. I am. How did you, how did you navigate motherhood and a career? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, my oldest child, I wasn't going to have any kids. I wasn't going to have any children. I have two kids. Um, but my my oldest was a surprise. And uh, not long after I had him, I think, like less than, a, maybe a little more than a week after I had him, my husband was diagnosed with um, prostate cancer. Um, and so that was... It was one of those, it wasn't just being a mom, it was everything else that was kind of mm. fell into my lap that I really had to, to deal with. Um, but I would say as far as, you know, work, I think it was really tough. I think it's a lot better now. I'm, I'm you know, I'll say I'm, I'm genuinely excited for the women that are entering the workforce with children um, versus what it was like when I had mine, when they were little. Um, I miss so much time with them, um, traveling and uh, working that there's a lot more, I think there's a lot more understanding. It's better. I don't think it's perfect. I think it's better. There's a lot better understanding of um, taking into consideration some of the other challenges that working moms have versus people that don't have children. Um, so I think that's better, but I think um, my advice is to always put your kids first, no matter what um, the job is not going anywhere. You have, and did you experience you mom? Yeah, you have a limited amount of time with your kids. Um, mm. The job's not going anywhere. So that would be my mm. advice. Um, did you ever experience mom guilt? And how did you navigate that? Oh, all the time. Um, I cried, mostly, oh. <laughs> is how I navigated it. I cried a oh, lot. No. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't, you know, when I 
when I had the kids, you know, the, the initial, the, the job that I was in when I had the kids is probably one of the worst jobs I've ever had in my life. Um, and the treatment that was there was, was not good. I think I had a, when you have two kids, they tend to pass bugs to each other. And so there's this wonderful um, stomach virus that's both ends, comes out, and it's 10 days, whatever. So I got one kid that gotten over it, and right when that kid gets over it, the other kid gets it. That kid gets over it, then the, the first mm. kid gets it again. You know, it was one of those types. And it was, I was in one of those, like, spirals, and I had was on had very little sleep, had had been, you know, sick kids or whatever, and I finally got back to work, and I worked at the position where I was. They would never tell us how much sick time we had, which I always thought was bizarre. I guess because they didn't want us abusing it, but I just never really had any idea. Do I have a week? Do I have a day? No one would tell me. And so I'd missed, I had to miss a few days um, with my kids being sick. And I finally got back to work and I was just exhausted. And my boss said that someone made a comment about um, checking to make sure that I didn't have a tan because they were insinuating that I had actually been laying out getting a tan instead of what? Like, oh Yeah. Um, and not long after he said that my husband called and, you know, my son had gotten really sick at school and I just got up and walked out. It's like, I'm just done. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yep. Yep. Shouldn't be like that. If anybody does that to anybody, just find a different job. Mm. Awesome. Um, speaking of finding different jobs, you switched careers many times. Yes. How did you determine when it was time to move to a different, either a different company or a different role? Yeah. Um, it's just a combination of things. One is the bad one. So if you're just not aligned with leadership at all, um, that's probably a sign you should find something. Get up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can, you can stay and fight. Um, it's not very fun. I wouldn't recommend it. It doesn't get you anywhere. Um, but I would say, yeah, you're not aligned. But I think the other aspect of it is if, you know, you're not being challenged or you're looking for a new challenge and you're just not getting it where you are. Um, maybe it's, you know, a combination of the company culture and maybe who you work with. I mean, that can – the people you work with, you spend a lot more time with them than you do your own family, so – it's one of those that if the chemistry isn't there, that can be kind of tough to, to stay in the job too. But yeah, usually if I'm, any of those things are at play, um, I'm, I'm typically looking for, I'm thinking about my next move. Awesome. And then do you consider yourself a generalist or a specialist? Definitely a generalist. Mm. <laughs> Definitely Was it because... I think I can specialize maybe agile, but I don't know if that's really a specialty. But, um, yeah, I think we're probably a generalist. Mm, was it because, like, you moved different states as a kid? Like, you're very adaptable. That's what I see. I and, like, you've moved different jobs. I think that probably helped. I haven't even thought about it that way. But, yeah, I think that probably helped. Um, I like to just kind of – I like to just go, go somewhere and just figure out where I fit. Uh, I, I I really sometimes when people are like oh what do you bring to this job I'm like I don't know I just want to go and see what's going on and then I can figure out where my spot is but that's not how it works 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to get like, you know, if you have like, here's your whole depth, I can, I tend to get about this deep in about every subject and then every, you know, the subjects can go on, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I, I think I'm definitely a generalist. Mm, so you like variety, you like change. Like what advice do you have for people who may be like resistant to change? Oh gosh. I think whether it's, it's like scary. leaders or like yeah. anyone. I'd say it's not as scary as you think it's gonna be. I think the the, the biggest hurdle is right here. Um mm-hmm. and I mean, I've even, I'm even talking about this with my own family. Both of my brothers are in the middle of um, job changes, and I've given them a hard time because I think, like, my older brother's only had, like, three jobs his entire life. Um, I've had way more than that. And uh, my younger brother is, is about this. I think it's really my whole family because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the anomaly in my immediate family is all just – I'm the only one that works in technology too. So that probably explains okay. it as mm-hmm. well. But um, I, I always like looking for new. I like new challenges. I like going where I'm needed, um, where I can help. Um, but yeah, I would say most people that I have talked to that have some type of fear of changing, they have overblown it in their head. It's not as big of a deal as what they're making it out to be. So just do it. Just start. Jump in. Awesome. And then looking back, like from childhood until now, like, would you consider yourself successful in your career? Hmm. I don't know. It depends on how you, it depends on how you define success. Yeah. How do you define success? How do I find success? I would say, I can still be a good mom and a good wife and a good daughter and a good sister. I think that's success. I'm a good friend. Um, I like, I I mean, I think success is being at the right company with the right people, with the right culture. Um, Lucky enough to find something like that. I think that's successful. Mm. And then they say work hard, get lucky. What percentage of your success would you attribute to luck? Mm. and your career let me think I'd say 35% luck Uh, can you explain like where that luck came in and where the hard work came in as well well the luck like when I was working for the state agency that switched from dummy terminals to computers that was like the first one Um, I learned early on um before a lot of people my age were had the opportunity to uh, to do that, so I think I got lucky there. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, doing the when I kind of struck out on my own for a while, um, I don't know if that was really luck. I think that was hard work. I, I hustled. I hustled a lot, um, but I think also like when I got when I was hired on by the energy company here and they were doing agile and they were doing it right. Um, I think that was lucky because I've seen a lot of places where they've not been doing agile um, correctly. But I think just from that alone, that, um, 
knowledge and that experience has really what's taken me um, to where I am now. And I've been able to pretty successfully work with different um, software development teams. I've been able to help mentor um, product folks. Um, so I think that's, but I think the rest of that, I think the rest of it is really, is work. I mean, you know, I, I joke around about having all the jobs, but um, I've not been without a job for, I think, the whole time, I think, by choice, two weeks. Oh, wow. We got laid off, I think, the most, even during the, even with the downturn of oil and gas, I was only out of work for two weeks. That was it. Um, I hustle. I'm I hustle. I can, I can survive. I can always survive. So survivor like, hustler. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is you got to be open to change, open to change, but not all. I think the other thing too, is like even talking about changes when I, you know, made director at that one role. And when I went to go look for other positions, I talked to recruiters, they were only looking for director and above. I'm like, why I can go anywhere. I don't have to, I, and I think the other thing is don't be married to a title. Mm-hmm. I'm really not married to a title. Um, I lie. I mean, it's nice to have a nice title. You, you know, if you're at a party or something and somebody asks you what you do, you can sound really important. But then after that, I don't really, um, but I mean, that's what kind of helped me too is when I got to director, it's because I went from being in a leadership role, I went back down to being an individual contributor, and I jumped back up. Um, mm. And I've always managed to I, – I, I try not to have an ego around that. I'm not saying I don't. I try not to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you learn as well, right? Like going Absolutely. from up to bottom and then back up and, you know. Well, even when you go back down to a contributor role, you'll learn about new tools or something that didn't – that weren't there when you were in that role initially. Um, and so, I mean, little things like that, I'll pick up new things that I just didn't, I wasn't aware of, or I'd heard of, but I hadn't, I didn't get my hands dirty because I was in a leadership, I was in a leadership role. So. Mm, awesome. And then speaking of change, like what advice do you have for, you know, young people who are trying to switch careers, not even young people, anyone really. Yeah. I would say, like, just, I mean, you want to go for something that you're interested in, but, you know, like I just said, don't get married to a, don't get married to a job title, yeah? Or a company, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, I think if, if I've learned nothing else, whatever I thought that I wanted to do or be, I was wrong. Or I would get into a role and be like, eh. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, I, if you would have asked me 10 years ago if I would have been managing software development teams, I would have thought you were crazy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that would even be a possibility. Um, I, think it's, I think it's important to be open-minded. Um, try new things. I mean, if nothing else, try it. If you hate it, go try something else. Mm. Awesome, because you only live once. Exactly. Might as well. Might as well try things. Exactly. Why not? Do you have any other advice for people who may be lost trying to navigate like a college major or like what job they want to do or if they hate their job? You know? 
Yeah. The floor is yours. Yeah. The floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I think, I think as far as if you're really hating your job and you're really miserable, um, figure out what your exit plan is going to be. Um, I mean, I, I did that for one job. I just had a financial milestone that I wanted to hit. And uh-huh. once I hit it, I was out. You're out the door. I made a promise, made mm. a promise to myself that um, once I hit this milestone, whether or not I had something lined up didn't matter, I was going to be gone. Just mental health reasons, right? I want to. I don't want to be miserable all the time. Um, so if I'm in a if I'm in a position that it's really toxic, um, I need to do what I need to do to take care of myself and take care of my family. I mean, that was, you know, kind of the other thing is I don't want to be bringing any of this stuff home with me. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, the the other thing too is Oklahoma is really challenging, can be really challenging. If if you're looking for a job within Oklahoma, which I don't think I'm probably going to do that for, uh, I probably won't ever look for a job in Oklahoma again. Um, but like for a job market like Oklahoma, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So you always have to be very stealth when you're doing any type of job search. Um, really mindful about like how I do things in LinkedIn and who I talk to. And uh, it has to be all these like backdoor channels. Um, and, and that's one of those things is like, if I'm looking for a job, I like to do it in kind of a, a vacuum so I don't have anybody try to change my mind. So I'm kind of like, once I've decided to start looking, there's no going back. Um, and I, I, and I believe that's true with anybody. Once anybody starts thinking about leaving, they're gone. They're gone. Um, Mm. and, and it's one of those things that I think it's, you know, again, it's a personal, it's a personal choice. Now, if there's something that, you know, can be done at the company where you are, um, to change your mind, then you need to be vocal about it. Um, I don't think it's ever a good idea to start looking, have something lined up and they're like, Oh, but if we could save you, what we could, what could we do? And you could say, well, there's this one thing and they could have done it. You could have had that conversation earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing too, is I've had, I've had positions where I have gone to them and told them, I'm not happy and these are the things that are that are happening and when you know if you know if it was a situation where they said they were going to do things and it just didn't come to fruition I leave and I don't leave mad I'd rather just be you know straight about it I'll tell you what you know the situation is and how it can be remedied and if it can't be rectified at all that's told I I'm not going to hold anybody I'm not going to be angry with anybody. I'd rather just know that so then I can make plans for myself to, to move on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you can do it, even if it's in a toxic situation, I think you can still do it in a, in a healthy way um, where you don't leave too much scorched earth behind mm-hmm. you if at all possible. So, As you said, like stay unemotional, stay calm. Yeah. Right? Well, and, that, and that's... Or try. Part, yeah, I mean, and that's the part that's a little bit of a that's a trick, right? It's a, it's a mental, it's a mental trick. Mental game. Yeah. yeah it's, I've had some situations that if, when I thought about the meetings, I've, you know, 
get emotional and I think about it and I tear up and really think things through. When I get in there, it's like I just turn into a machine um, and start talking through it and stay focused on the facts. Um, That's helped me out tremendously. Uh, But yeah, I would say if you're looking to make a change, get your plan in place, how you're going to do it. Make it a good, make it a good plan, leave a transition, do everything professional, right? Um, but ultimately do what's best for you. Awesome. And then you, you talked about mental health. Yeah. It matters to you. Um, what matters most to, what matters most to you in life and why? Mm. Um, I think as far as career goes, I think work-life balance, which sounds very cliche, um, I think it's really important. I think it's important that if somebody, you know, if somebody on the team is having a tough day to support them in that. Um, I think that's what, what I've been really pleased about, kind of the change, or at least the change I feel like I've seen over the past few years, and it's probably with pandemic stuff and people are getting a lot more, you know, a lot more introspection and, and, and really evaluating things in their life. But I think it's one of those things that um, how nice has it, how would it have been when you're really struggling to have somebody at work going, Hey, I know you're having a bad day. How can I help? How can I support you? Or can I take something off your plate? And why don't you go take, you know, why don't you go take a break or something like that? Um, those are the types of situations that I feel like you could really build relationships with people on the team. When you do things like that, I had a guy, um, he didn't work for me. Um, and we worked together at a company and, uh, he had gone to, remember he was, I remember specifically he was out of town. I just, all I knew is he was out of town and there was something that came up. He was a developer. There's something that came up that he was the only one that knew, um, the area of code and his manager was really kind of pushing him to get to, to do it. And when I found out the situation, this guy had, the reason he had gone to New York is he had to go search for his, um, he had to go identify his mom. She had passed away. She had had some mental health problems. She had uh, passed away. He had to go identify her, and he had to go collect her belongings. She had lived at several different um, homeless shelters. And, you know, when you think the gravity of something like that, someone's having to deal with that, and then they have somebody going, hey, um, that code that you wrote, it's like, um, what the heck? Yeah. So even at that situation... I sent him a note and just basically told him, don't respond to anything. Let me, you know, if I can water a plant, feed a cat, whatever I can do while you're gone. Um, And then I went to his manager and, you know, basically told him, don't contact him. You can't like just that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many challenges that people have that, Normally, they would never bring it up because someone might perceive that as a weakness or, you know, I think it's important that we recognize that people have bad days. And I think it's, you know, and I think the other thing that's nice is if someone came into a meeting and say, I'm not all, I'm not 100%. Maybe I was up late with a sick child last night or, you know, my mom went to the hospital or, you know, like my, um, few months back, my, my son's appendix burst when he, uh, had developed sepsis. I mean, it was one of those scary life happens. I think it's really important that 
we all take care of each other. I don't, I mean, and I think it's one of those, if you're at a company that's not providing that type of um, support, I don't know if that's a good company to be with. Mm. So care for others. That's what matters most to you. Absolutely. I think about just, I had, you know, I've had some tough things that have happened to me. I had a, you know, when I was real young, I had a friend that died in a car accident, you know, and you think about back then, um, we didn't have, we didn't have PTO. You had sick leave or vacation time, and because she wasn't a family member, you know, because you got, you got days off for bereavement, right? If it was a family member. My best friend was not my family member, um, and I didn't have any time off. You know, you think about just the, I remember how painful it was to go to work during that whole time. Um, you know, I've had, I've had my own health issues. My, you know, my family's had health issues. You have those kind of challenges. I think it's, it's really important. I think it goes a long way um, with employees, and it's one of those that they're having a hard time. I think, you know, working with them, working with them, and working through that time. I think you will have a lot more loyal, happier employees. Awesome. And on that note, thank you so much, Christy, for sharing all of your experiences and giving advice. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me.